Refuge is a safe place for all people. Refuge is a safe place for all people. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore. Why can't I? All people to restore and explore their faith in Jesus and His Church. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and His Church. Huh? And His Church. And His Church. There we go. This is good. Okay. All right. Action. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and His Church. I'm okay at being a teacher, but I'm much better at being a preacher. I don't know if it's my Pentecostal roots or what, but I'm excited that I get to preach tonight. I also warned that uh, if you're on the front row, be ready for some spittle. <laughs> so Colossians, and every, the- every book that Paul wrote, there is a common theme. And it's Jesus. Jesus is a common theme that goes from all of Paul's epistles, from 1 Corinthians to Romans and even tonight. Because again, Paul is not writing a theological essay. As I said it in my message, Paul was not writing something that he thought was going to be studied for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He was writing a letter to specific people at a specific time. And so, like, I wonder if sometimes he's, like, up in heaven listening to, like, preachers preach or, like, men tell women to, like, sit down and shut up. And he's just like, that's not what I meant. You know, like, would you like it if someone read your diary? (laughs) Um, But for Paul, everything comes back to Jesus. Everything is doctrine. Everything is practice. And everything is worship because it's all about Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. And we're talking about Colossians, so we're talking about the city of Colossae. And it's a little different than the previous cities we talked about, Corinth and Rome. It's neither large nor important, although it was at some point, its status and importance declined because of other cities that were more populated and richer. So, like, think hustle and bustle of a factory city that then just plummets because of outsourcing. That's kind of what happened to Colossae here. And we don't know a lot about this city because there's not really a lot to know at this point because archaeologists and historians and and people who give us stuff to study, they've not excavated the city. They've not done the work. I mean, there's some, but a lot that we learn and we know about, we get from... Out, we get from other uh, documents and other historical things outside of scripture, but also we get context from Paul's letter about different religious practices that were going on in this city at the time. And we can assume other things about the religion and the way of life simply because of where it's geographically located. So a lot of it is assumption, a lot of us um, mixed with study. But things that we do know about the Colossian church is that it was young and it was small. And we do know that false teachers were bringing bogus doctrines, bogus rules, and bogus practices that were removing Jesus as his position as the head of the church. They were missing the point. As we've, as we've been making clear the last few weeks is that people often miss the point. And these uh, false teachers were doing just that because the point is Jesus. And at the heart of Colossians, Paul is not, um, Paul is warning his readers not to be taken in by pious and overly religious claims 
which were trying to convince Christian converts that their position and their adoption into God's family was incomplete. People were trying to convince Christian converts that their, ent- that their entrance into Jesus' family, into God's family, came with conditions. And no one should be making attempts to exclude anyone from the inner circle of God's family. Paul is writing in hopes that his readers would be able to find genuine human and spiritual maturity, which God calls for all of his people. So without further ado, let's jump right into Colossians 1 verses 3 through 4. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. This is the same good news. We're going to jump to verse six. This is the same good news that came to you and is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about this good news from Epaphras, and he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then that way you will, that way you, that, then the way you live will honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power So you will have all the endurance and all the patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father for he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Now that's encouragement, right? Like I could stop right there. Holy Ghost, hallelujah. And like we could call it a night. But I'm not. Sit down. (laughs) Nobody got up. It was a bad dad joke for Father's Day. (laughs) but what does he praise them for what what does he what does he say they're doing the best he says loving people and loving all christians the the message translation says it like this he says we keep getting reports of your steady faith in christ and the love you continuously extend to all christians all christians It's about love, unity, and it's about Jesus. Paul's prayer for the Colossian church is not simply that they love. Love is a great thing. He's commending them on how good they love. He's commending them on how well they're united and loving one another. Like a father, he has pride in how they're loving their neighbors. But Paul also has concern for their spiritual well-being. We saw that reflected in 1 Corinthians 8.13. I read that a couple weeks ago. And, he, and Paul says, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. And that is, look, I've done some hard things in my life, but giving up meat, I, I couldn't do it. And Paul is willing to do it for the spiritual well-being of the people around him. Paul wants the church in Colossians to be mature believers with a deep understanding of who God is. Mature, he wants them to be mature believers aligning their lives with God's purpose. 
and living out that purpose in practical ways. And part of those practical ways is their love for one another. And the other way that we come to a deep understanding of God is deep study. We're a deep church here. We talk about that. We've been talking about that a lot recently. And we, we, we find out God's purpose and will through our lives through deep study, seeking his guidance through prayer. And this is part of why I've been sending home homework every week and resources for you because I don't know God's will for your life. And I do not want to tell you what to believe. I want you as mature and maturing and learning believers to learn how to, to discover God and deepen your understanding of him. Our deep study and deep knowledge and deep relationship then correlate to the fruit that we bear. Paul talks about they are seeing fruit and people are coming to know Jesus. And I taught on Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love. I was one, I just, I knew I was going to hear crickets. So thank you. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then things like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are then transformative products of the love and relationship that we have with Jesus. Love for all people. Love for all people becomes a natural outflow of God's love working in us and through us. We all know that even as Christians, we are not exempt to suffering or challenge or persecution. However, as we deepen our understanding or we attempt to deepen and we make the effort, we can gain a perspective that then transcends our circumstances. We learn to rely on God's strength and we are able to find joy even in the midst of trials. In love, all people, including those who may be difficult to love, we draw on God's strength and we are able to then exhibit his grace and his mercy. Our growing and maturing in Christ empowers us to extend forgiveness, show compassion, and seek reconciliation. All of these things reflect the love that Christ has for a broken world. Colossians 1, 13 through 20 says this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into, his, into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. For Paul, it all points back to Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, and the victory that he claimed on the cross. 
When we grasp the significance of Christ's supremacy and his work of reconciliation, our love for God deepens. Our love for God becomes inseparable for our love for our neighbors. What are the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we love this way, our love for God and our love for neighbor are unified and indistinguishable. We love our neighbors because we love God, and we love God by loving our neighbors. We're a deep church, like I said, and chapter 2 is the central section of Paul's letter here. And with each section being bound together by Jesus, it all comes back to Jesus. 2 verse 7, he says, let your roots grow down deep in him and let your lives be built on him. He's pleading to the believers to be mature in all areas of life because our foundation is Jesus. In verse 8, he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. And there's something interesting about the word uh, Paul uses here for captive, and you know me and how I like to study words. The Greek word Paul uses here, uh, because it's written in Greek, not English, is something we need to remember. It is very, very close to the word synagogue. I could tell you what it is, but I don't know how to pronounce it, and I would just make a bigger fool of myself than I already have. And a synagogue, do we know what a synagogue is? It is a bit, yes, we do. Yes, Nicole, we sure do. Now you tell us. It's a building where Jewish people worship. So some biblical scholars believe that in using this word for captive, Paul is using it as a contemptuous pun. In other words, Paul is being condescending of the false teachers. In other words, he's my kind of people and he's being a little sarcastic. His warning is to be on guard against anyone seeking to snatch them from the family of Christ through empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, human principles, human man-made laws, rules, and doctrines that were implemented to keep you holy. Because the reality is the only thing that makes us holy is There we go. Jesus, because it all comes back to Jesus. Paul goes on in 2.11. I'm going to read it from the message version. I'm going to switch back and forth between the New Living Translation and the message. And no, I'm sending home these homework and these resources and things. And if you don't know what version of the Bible to read, these are two that I, I highly recommend. They're easy to read. And they just, the beauty in the way that they're written just pops out um, on the page. And so I'm going to be switching back and forth. I'll try to tell you when I'm switching. But um, I also have it on the slides. But for verse 11 in the message, Paul says this. He says, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or something you achieve. 
It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a list of laws. No, you are already in your insiders and not through some secret of initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. You see, we have been buried with Christ, raised to new life. God made us alive. He forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us by nailing it to the cross through what Christ has already gone through for us. He stripped spiritual tyrants of their bogus self-given authority and he shamed them publicly on the cross. Verses 16 and 17 in the New Living Translation says, Do not let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or for new moon ceremonies or for Sabbath. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. It all comes back to Jesus. Verses 18 through 23 in the message say this. He says, Do not tolerate tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and to scrape and insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. They are a lot of hot air and that is all that they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head and we are the body and we grow healthy in God only as he nourishes them. So then if with Christ you have put all that puffed up and childish religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think that such things that are here today and then gone tomorrow are even worth that kind of attention? Such things sound impressive if they're said in a deep enough voice. I I love that so much. That's my favorite part of the whole message version is such things sound impressive if you say it with a deep enough voice, if your chest is puffed out enough, if you stand on a tall enough soapbox. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and austere, but they're just another way of showing off and making yourself look important. And Paul uses the word, therefore, And Paul is drawing out the significance of the victory that Christ has had over all rulers and all authorities in heaven, below, and on earth. Victory over the religious that had tried to disqualify, disqualify Gentiles from membership in God's family. Holding up rules and regulations, playing gatekeeper and bouncer to God's family. And Paul warns them, do not get tripped up by any old Joe Schmo, fake Jesus, who's trying to tell you how to live because Christ has already conquered them on the cross. Jesus canceled every man-made law, every man-made rule, every man-made regulation that kept people from getting to him. That's why the veil was torn when he was crucified is because it was no longer about who you were. It was no longer about your status. It was no longer about the rules that they put in place to make you holy. All people had the opportunity to be made holy by Christ. He warns against allowing others to dictate and control our lives with religious rules and regulations. Even today, we should be avoiding legalism and oppressive religious practices that hinder our freedom in Christ. 
And we do this by seeking a deep relationship with God. A relationship that's based on his grace and his truth. Rather than being bound or entangled or trapped by man-made laws. Paul emphasizes that Jesus is the source of our life. Jesus is the source of our spiritual nourishment. Jesus is the source of how we mature. In our modern world with various ideologies, we should be prioritizing deep connection with Jesus through prayer, study, deep relationship with a body and a community of Christ. This is how we grow in maturity so that we are able to stand against those false teachers. Paul warns it. Warns not to be impressed by empty displays of religious piety and humility. In our social media driven culture, it is easy to fall into a trap of seeking attention and appearing spiritual or measuring our worth by external religious practices or seeking clout or validation through what we say and what we post. Instead, we should be focusing on developing a genuine and an authentic faith that is deeply rooted in love and Jesus. In other words, worry about your own self. We are called to stand firm in God's word, discerning and rejecting teachers that are contrary to the core principles of the Christian faith. Paul says in Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians 3 is probably my favorite of the four chapters. In the message version, verses 1 through 2, he says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up, be alert to what's going on around Christ, because that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Focus on Jesus, because it all comes back to Jesus. In the New Living Translation, eight verse, verse 8 says this, But now it is time to get rid of ra- anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. In the message, he says it like this, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free. They mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. In the New Living Living Translation, verse 12 says, since God chose you to be his holy people that he loves, you must close yourselves with tenderhearted mercy Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, above everything, clothe yourselves with love. Because love is what binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ 
rule in your hearts as a member of one body. You are called to live in peace. It doesn't seem like it should be, but this is heavy stuff. And it is easy to get excited about no Jew, no Gentile, no religious or unreligious, no insider or outsider. I could and I have preached that until I'm blue in the face. And it's easy to preach from that lens. It's easy to preach from the lens and putting yourself in the position of an outsider. This church is designed for outsiders. It's led by people who have lived on the outside. And I could preach it until the cows came home. But what comes next is what's heavy. What comes next is what weighs heavy. And has weighed heavy on me this week is that he lives in all of us. Everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included. I don't get to pick and choose who to love. I don't get to say who's a Christian and who isn't a Christian. I don't get to say who's in and who's out. As much as, as, much as Jesus did it for me to bring me into the family, he did it for everyone. He did it for everyone. And to be honest... Sometimes that can feel like it really sucks. Because <laughs> it's everyone. It's not everyone but. But Nicole, this person, I don't care. Everyone. <laughs> Ma- uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he said, You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard the law that says, just as Jesus coming against man-made rules, man-made regulations, everything that man put in place to be holy. And he said, you have heard me say, heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I am saying to you, a new law I'm giving you, a new command I'm giving you is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, true children of your father in heaven for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike if you love only those who love you what reward is there for that even corrupt tax collectors do that much if you're only kind to your friends how are you different from anyone else even pagans do that But you are to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And the message says this. You are familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I am challenging that. Now remember, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying, I am challenging that. And I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with supple moves of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. And this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone. To everyone, regardless of the good, the bad, the nice, or the nasty. If, you all, if all you do is love the lovable, if all that you do is love the lovable. Do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. 
And I love what he says, what it says next. And I, the Jesus that I talked to would talk to me like this. He said, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are a kingdom subject now. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards other the way God lives toward you. Oof. That's heavy stuff. And that's a Christ-like stuff that is hard to do. Love my enemy. Love people who hate me. How the absolute heck am I supposed to do that? And yes, I censored the word heck from my personal prayer this week because I was just, I was in a mood. How do you love someone who belittles you, who dehumanizes you, who doesn't recognize you, your, your humanity, someone who doesn't love you? How do you love like Jesus? Well, he tells us, you pray for those who persecute you. You respond with supple moves of prayer. And as much as I didn't like that word, because I was like, that's weird. (laughs) It means to be flexible and graceful and malleable. It's It's hard to be rigid and unyielding in the presence of God. So how do you love like Jesus? You pray for those who persecute you, who slander you who hurts you, who shame you, who condemn you, who dehumanize you. You pray for those who hate you. As I was preparing for this message, I was walking around this room reading Colossians. And the words, everyone is included, just hung over me. And then God sent me to Matthew 5 and he, and he told me to pray. Of course, I talked back. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm not doing that. And I reluctantly, and I cannot emphasize enough how reluctantly it was, but I prayed. I walked around this room. I walked through the rows. I walked up on the platform. You know, those little random walks you do when you're on the phone and you're just, (laughs) that's how I walked around this room because God told me to pray. He told me to pray for the two people who really ticked me off this week. Two people that I really didn't like, that I really didn't want to love, that I really didn't want to pray for. Two people that made me feel angry and vengeful and full of rage. I even texted Brian as much. I said to him, I am filled with rage. I'll show you the text message. I said it. I said, I'm angry. But what does Paul tell the Colossians that holds true for us today? Get rid of rage, anger. Malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. And he says in Romans 12 that David read for us last week that, man, they just hit me in the gut all week. He said, do not pretend to love others. Really love them. Love them from the center of who you are and don't fake it. In the New Living Translation in Romans 12, 14, Paul says, bless your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. 1217 in the message says, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Don't insist on getting even because that's not for you to do. 
So I did just that. I called them by name. I walked around this room and said the name of two people who have been hateful and disparaging of me as a human being. And I didn't pray down the ten plagues or that they'd get a flat tire or run out of gas or that their card would get declined or that they'd get a small crack in their windshield that would slowly crack over time from the heat. Or that they always get stuck at every red light on their way to work. Or that they'd always have a rock stuck in their shoe. Or that their socks would constantly slip down into their shoes. Or that they'd stub their pinky toe on their coffee table every time they walked by it. I didn't put any thought into it at all. But rather I did what Paul told me to do. I prayed God would bless them. That God would bless their ministries. God would bless their families. God would bless. God would bless their finances, that God would protect them and keep them, and that God would anoint them. I prayed for soft heart and open ears, but I did not pray that God would change their mind or that God would change their apparent mission against me. I prayed for them as children of God. Because as much as I don't understand it or I don't believe it or I don't like it or I don't even want it to be true, God loves them as much as he loves me. His sacrifice was for them as much as it was for me. He's their savior as much as he is mine. And he is the head of their church as much as he is ours. Jesus is for everyone. And that is a hard truth to swallow. To pray for our enemies. To pray for people who hate you. That is tough stuff, but that is how we love like Jesus. I think back to the example Jesus set for us on the cross. He is nailed to the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Literally praying for people who are murdering him, who are condemning him, who are dehumanizing him. He prayed that God would forgive them. And I don't stand here before you tonight because I've got it all figured out. I still hold some bitterness and some ill feelings. I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. But as the band comes up to play... And we move into a time of worship. I encourage you to reflect on that truth that Jesus is for everyone. He's for me as much as he is for the person who condemns me. He's for you as much as he is for the person who hates you. He died for everyone just like he died for me. So Father, I invite you into this room tonight. Holy Spirit, would you have your way? This, this is a hard truth, Jesus. But you, you told us how to get there. You told us how to love. You told us what to do. To love our enemies, we must pray for them. So Holy Spirit, would you come into this room and begin to soften our hearts as we begin to pray for those people in our lives or on the peripheral of our lives? Soften our hearts toward them so that we, as true children of God, 
can love them the way that you love them. We love you. We thank you. We invite you to have your way. In Jesus' name.